Ungefragt. You are listening to You've Got Five Options Show, where every week Marta and Anna abandon their five children, two partners, and one cat to make a show especially for you. An artist, a challenge, a bullshit, a wisdom, and a surprise. Tune in and feel the magic of five. Hello, everyone. It's, it's, it was almost like, hell no, everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Marta. And this is Anna. Hello. And this, <laughs> this is Hell You've no. Got Five Options Show. Hell no, everyone. <laughs> okay, this is, uh, yeah, we haven't played that <laughs> yet. So there is a first time for everything. Hell no, everyone. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, Anna and Marta from You've Got Five Options. Thank you, Marta, for this um, interesting and very unusual welcome. So welcome to the next episode. We are today live on air. So you can experience our mistakes yeah, as they go. It's a live feed. And I think I will start with a couple of uh, news. Uh, I, I think we should introduce a news corner. What do you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you can, who can see us on TV, that face was priceless. That was like, hell no. <laughs> exactly. That was a hell no. <laughs> that was a hell no. Okay. I, I just have couple of li- couple of announcements and I will try to be fast, although that is not my strongest suit. So number one, uh, guys, we are soon uh, kicking uh, off with a new website. We had some pictures taken here in the studio two weeks ago and wonderful Zane how to pronounce her surname Hartmann because it's your you write it Hartmann Zane Hartmann that rhymes Zane made pictures and she delivered them and they are great so we we are redesigning the website so if you are listening to us right now and you will go to the fiveoptions.com you will see nothing new however if you will listen to the podcast episode which are we are releasing on Tuesday then you actually might experience some new shit. Yes, and by we, Anna always uh, means I, (laughs) meaning herself. I don't redesign websites, it's Anna. Yet, yet. Uh, another announcement I wanted to give because I think it's 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 good to tell people that we actually are uh, yet again this year doing uh, some programs for TEDx Aarhus. I think we are now official partners and uh, we will be there in autumn 2020 doing our backstage shows but we will also do a couple of programs in the meantime and on top of everything we have also contacted TEDx Odense and they are also interested in us covering their event which happens spring this year so guys we are TEDx um Bitches. Bitches. <laughs> I wanted to say horse and then I was like, no, why would I say that? And then you said bitches. Hell no. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so guys, uh, the thing is that the very first program we are planning to pull off is a merge between TEDx Orhus and TEDx Odense. TEDx Orhus doesn't really know it yet. So uh, guys, now you know. We want to make a program, everything you wanted to know about TEDx, but you had no one to ask and you can actually ask us. So if you will go to that new website next week, um, we will have a special um, place on the landing page, meaning the first page, when you will be able to send your own question that you would normally like to ask people from TEDx. And we will make sure that that they will answer because we have our ways, persuasive ways. Yeah, we have done pretty well uh, on getting people to talk to us on TEDx Orhus uh, mm-hmm. 2019. Exactly. So if you have any question about TEDx, for instance, you know, how to become a speaker or is TEDx making any money? I'm now giving you those questions, but probably you have your own questions. Then go to our website, the fiveoptions.com, five as a number. 
and just send us the question and we will ask them and we will have actually organizers from two events so that's like a you know double power like a power rangers no that's not power rangers but you know like from two organizers i think that's cool and the last but not least today's episode will uh, feel for our regular listeners a little bit like a deja vu or deja vu i don't know how to pronounce it i'm not french Deja vu or deja vu, Marta? I don't know. I say deja vu and my husband says deja vu. Deja vu. Deja vu, deja vu. Deja vu, deja vu. Exactly. So we don't know. So we will just use both because we will repeat a couple of topics and even a song that we played in our last show. And that is because I have a huge need to compensate to several people and to several topics. Number one. Well, we have misinformed the band Al Brooks and the Rusty Crooks about the date where their show, uh, where their song, uh, What My Mama Said, will be on the radio. So the guys gathered their family and friends and they were all listening to the show. And that was the show where Gregory Boyd was on. So I, I don't know. I even had that kind of a weird vision when I read this email because I got an email from Alexander. He was like, hey, what's up? What happened? Because, you know, it's like I, I told my family, friends, now we look kind of silly. So I would like to give my sincere apologies because we had the last time, uh, last minute switch between the shows and I didn't manage to inform uh, the band that they will be played week after. And I had this vision of the whole family and friends sitting in front of, I don't know for what reason, an old like a radio set, just like waiting for the song that never came. And uh, because of that, we decided to compensate to the band and play them one more time live on air. So now for all of the friends and family and the band, we will actually replay the song and we wish you all the best. Uh, we hope that the song will reach even more people and that soon you will become super famous. For those of you who haven't listened, I will just remind you that um, I actually got a different description of the band because I had the, the description last week that the band sent me this time. I decided to, you know, do it a little bit different. So I took the one from Facebook and they are describing themselves as we are a gang of drunken outlaws out to destroy some of the good old and new country classic with our rusty rebel sound, as well as create some old style new shit. I actually think this is a fantastic introduction. And guys, now we will have artist of the week. Once again, Al Brooks and the Rusty Crooks with what my mama said.
to be free. That was What My Mama Said by Al Brooks and the Rusty Crooks. And guys, if you are interested in finding the band, then of course go to the fiveoptions.com to this episode show notes and we have the links and you will know how to reach them. And one more time, greetings to the family and friends of the band. And sorry again that you waited uh, last week for the song and it didn't came out. So now it's here one more time. And yeah. Uh, I like that song. I think it's cool. And I always like an image of a drunken guys reconstructing the music. So that's that's awesome. So now, guys, we will uh, continue with the compensation because apparently I have some problems with myself. Last week, we have started a very interesting topic about overpopulation, which I personally found as the most interesting last 10 minutes of the previous show. And uh, I also got the feedback from two people that they were really interested, but it's ended so abruptly. And that is because we obviously have zero discipline uh, regarding uh, keeping time. And that by we, I mean, I. I have a zero discipline. Uh, so we will come back to overpopulation. And uh, let's start with the wisdom then, because we will talk about some wise stuff. A super wise wisdom of the week. So on my endless journey of trying to prove the world that I can embarrass myself in 101 creative ways, I started last week's topic about overpopulation with uh, something that was called demographic. And I actually couldn't really say what it was because I made uh, 15 pages of notes and yet I forgot to write down exactly what I meant. So first we will start with a little audio file and then I will explain what it was. There is a lot of uh, news that in Japan there is a population crisis and someone found an article that 13% of the houses in Japan are now abandoned because people are so much, you know, diminishing in Japan. And is this true and what can he say about it because he lives in Japan? And he started to talk about uh, demographic uh, crunch, crunch, I think it's called like this. Oh, I have to check that. Demographic, uh, demographic, I would say challenge because there one. Yeah, so first of all, I absolutely love my accent here. I used such a weird accent, demographic and, and stuff. But guys, now just to Very country. Uh, yeah, like. it, it, I don't know what it was it country you think? Demographic? Yeah, it was like abandoned. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just don't know. But guys, it is called demographic crunch. And the reason why you may not know it or I couldn't remember it exactly, it's because we don't really talk about this as much as we talk about overpopulation. If you are trying to Google demographic crunch, you get very few results, yet you get results like reports from countries' policies as how to approach it. And when you get overpopulation, you get like a lot of opinions, blogs and stuff like this. So demographic crunch is when the, the demographic outlook of the country changes drastically in a way that there is actually a risk of underpopulation. And I gave Japan as, a, as, a, as an example. So now, guys, I will have a question for you and you are fully entitled to refuse to answer. But there are two more countries that are struggling with huge demographic crunch at this moment. And I would like you to give me your best guess what those countries are. And I didn't know neither. I knew one, but I didn't know the other one. Is there any volunteer? Well, I don't know what's the exact definition of the demographic crunch. If the if the, the birth, population, yeah. yeah, the birth rate is declining, and there is uh, the prediction is that more people will be dying than being born. But it's the, the declining birth rate to the level that the population cannot. Uh, stay on the same level. 
th- that I think are quite some countries in Europe. Actually, there are. But give me, Marta, your best guesses. Well, I don't know why China comes to mind, even mm-hmm. though there are like so many people there. Uh, still, it kind of comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, I know that there is quite a big challenge in Poland, actually, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the outlook. And uh, our government has some very interesting ways to uh, manage that. But... That was the two countries that came to my mind, but I haven't read anything about it recently or mm-hmm. so that's just something that came to my mind. Dennis, what are your guesses? Was it a couple of years ago when a Danish politician said that we were having too few t- children in Denmark that uh, people needed to make more babies? Mm-hmm. So is Denmark one of the countries where the demographics are now that too many people are old and Not enough people are born. Hmm, that would be a one guess. And second guess? China lifted their one-ban policy, so that might be one of them. Guys, you were right with China. China is facing a huge demographic crunch. Population is aging more rapidly than it's getting rich. Giving Than it's getting rich? Wow. Ah, because actually then you have to sponsored older people, giving rise to a great demographic imbalance with important implications for the party's efforts to transform the Chinese economy and preserve its own power in the coming decade. So basically, there is fewer people that will be able to work. And um, the other country is, and actually the countries that you gave, it's, it's true. But the other country where it's really alarming levels is Russia. It came to my mind, Poland and then Russia. Yeah, Yeah. and actually uh, Vladimir Putin, the president uh, president of Russia, I think two weeks came with a special announcement to the nation uh, what will be the measures of trying to encourage people to have more children. And in case of Russia, uh, the men are dying too young, the women aren't having enough kids, the country has more immigrants than it knows what to do with, and it's running out of working age people to support everybody else. Plus... Vodka. Estimate says that alcohol is tied to 30% of deaths in Russia. And that's from Reuters. So, yeah, uh, countries are facing a demographic crunch. Um, and I thought it's the Western civilizations only, but Russia was never really falling exactly in that box. And with China, it is, uh, I believe, a direct consequence of a one-child policy, which was, uh, which is a topic for another, uh, for another uh, show. So basically, guys, what do you think about this? We have a demographic crunch and yet overpopulation. This is not a question to put you in a corner. Just uh, how is your like feel about this? Well, it, it it kind of makes people who are very, very, very opposed to immigration look kind of stupid. Because <laughs> well, we need immigrants if we're going to uphold the standard of living. And if, if we, we need jobs done, mm-hmm. we need immigrants in the foreseeable future. Uh, that is actually a very point that you have uh, that you have here highlighted, because that's true. Um the demographic crunch in Western civilization and in big countries like China and Russia are calling for immigrants to come. And then we have also, especially in Western world, in US right now and in Europe, we have this fear there is too many immigrants when in reality many economies are calculating currently that in 10 years we will not have enough hands to basically work and sustain the economy. So that is a very interesting point and I hope we'll come back to it. But I would also like to serve you the second wisdom, which is also called a compensation for me not covering the topic properly uh, on our previous show. And that is something about the demographic transition process, which I told you about. You know, I told you about those four steps when countries are, um, let's say, struggling with population growth because there is a poor sanitation, there are diseases, poverty, and so on. And then there is a step two and suddenly there is a drastic improve in human conditions and more children are surviving. So suddenly, you know, you made those six children because you thought that four of them will die and now they are all alive. So you have step three, explosion. But after the explosion, there is a step four, there is a slowdown because now people see, okay, we don't need to make so many 
babies. And then I uh, I was asking you if this is actually sensible. And let's hear that bit and see what you said. Once you introduce technology and medicine and all these things, people will automatically start to have less children. Does it have start make to have start less start to have less children? Does it have any sense? To me, it sounds quite sensible. I think I've, I've heard. I don't know if it's true that uh, the the more empowered and educated women are, the less children are that produced. Is Absolutely correct, and that comes with the progress, right? With the education and uh, and things like that. It also, does, but it also comes with culture. That that is also true. Very very technological advanced countries still have a, a completely different societal structure where women are not empowered, and most women still go at home, mm. and they still have a lot of children because they're not empowered. That is also true, although I don't have enough data. But I, I have can't say for sure either. Mm -hmm. It's just what I've, I remember hearing. One guy. So, uh, Denise, uh, yes, uh, you remembered well. <laughs> Actually, I have to tell you, because I was trying to research this topic, you know, to see if there is any correlation between the, the culture as well. And it's maybe not so much the culture, but actually the situation of women and the way that the culture perceives them or what are the social trends. And here I based this little research of mine. Uh, I based it on Hans Rosling. I don't know if you know the guy. He was a Swedish uh, physicist and a statistician, and he was very famous for um, educating the world with data, the actual data. He was saying that many of the data we don't understand and we have outdated look at the world. He actually wrote the book Factfulness, where he's talking about how data can um, scare us or give us an impression that the world is way worse than it is. I have that book home, haven't read it yet. And he had a series of TED Talks, by the way, TED Talks, where he was presenting different data about overpopulation and explaining why we have so many people that we have and what can we do about decreasing the overpopulation. And actually, he had a one very good speech. It was called... Uh, does religion influence uh, how many children uh, are born per woman or something like this? I'm para para paraphrasing right now. And he came up with four things that are contributing to lowering the, the childbirth. Number one is lower mortality rates of children. So more children surviving. Naturally, we should kind of, you know, stop uh, giving birth to more and more. Decreasing poverty is the next factor for decreasing overpopulation. Basic family planning, and here we also call uh, mean anti-conception. And he said that number four is probably the most important factor, and that is education and emancipation of women. So, Dennis, you were actually right. He also gave an, yes, exactly, bravo, bravo, woohoo, Dennis was right, but Dennis is usually always right, and he knows everything up front, which only makes me think that he has some telepathic weird wizard powers, but I will leave it for another show. But, uh, guys, the interesting thing that he has shown was the graph comparison between Qatar and Bangladesh. So basically, he showed the data from 1960. And he has shown that in both Qatar and Bangladesh, there were around six to seven children born per woman, even if Qatar had averagely 100,000 uh, dollars annual income per person and Bangladesh only 10,000. So the poverty argument seems invalid, right? Because it, but it cannot work in a vacuum. Then he showed data from 2010 and both of the countries dropped with babies to two per woman, averagely. And in both in Bangladesh and Qatar, the income grew a little bit, but in Bangladesh, it didn't grow to 100,000. It was just a relative improvement. But what he said, what was interesting about the Qatar were the social trends. When more and more women got emancipated, were entering the labor, the workforce, and had more rights. So that automatically helped to decrease the birth rate. So now in 2000, not now, but in 2010, Qatar women had averagely two children. So, Denise, hats off. 
you were right. What what are your thoughts about this? It makes sense, right? It does. Because if I'm thinking about myself now, having all the, um, I would say, chances I have in this society, you know, being able to take upon hobbies, education, do stuff, I don't really want to have five children. But maybe if I would be living 100 years ago when I could only sit home and basically, you know, like uh, not have job or voting rights or anything, maybe I would. Marta, what do you think about that? Well, <clears throat> I can I can see now kind of like several different trends happening at mm -hmm. the same time because yeah. I think it's a very important part of exact natural demographic phenomenon, mm -hmm. <laughs> if we can call it this way, yeah. that as uh, women are more emancipated, then they can uh, then, you know, step into another path of their life than only motherhood, which previously was the main career path, let's call it this way. Career but I, <laughs> I, I yeah. because I think being a mother is like the most challenging thing in the world. Yeah. So that's why I call it this way. But what I can see now in my <clears throat> environment, now another trend is starting to happen, mm -hmm. where women are starting to be fed up with having to have that career and so much pressure on them and are starting to say like, why am I sending my children to all the institutions uh, where f like strangers are taking care of my children so that I go and uh, stress myself out at work, only see my children two, three hours per day and like lose the motherhood uh, totally. So as everything in the world, we, we cannot like totally generalize because there are many different things happening at the same time. And all of them are true because all of them are happening, right? Mm -hmm. So I know so many empowered women who are so empowered that they can now say that I actually don't want to kill myself over a career. I want to have a few years off to be able to raise my children. But it's coming from the place of empowerment. It's coming from the place of a choice and of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, now I have all the options. I can study, I can work, I can have someone who can help me with children. And it is my conscious choice mm -hmm. that I want to be there with my children when they are small. And I want to pick up the career again when the kids are a little bit bigger. So I know moms who have five children again, educated and uh, moms who can have different career options for themselves who actually really fu feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. We're having, let's say, this average of two children that is more or less supporting, <laughs> you know, yeah. the two parents. So having more than that, I'm starting to see it more and more again, mm -hmm. but coming from the place of empowerment. Yeah, I think that this is a... Yes, Dennis? And privilege. And, pri and it <laughs> comes from a place of empowerment and true, privilege because that is something that it, it's, it's not bestowed on everybody to do. Yeah, you, I, um, you you save farewell to uh, your income, so you have to have a partner with a, with a sizable income to do that. Mm -hmm. So it is empowerment and it is privilege. Well, it depends how you look at it because you still have all those countries where women uh, have much less income than like I mean, you if you want to keep up the same standard of living, then it's a matter of privilege. But if you are willing to have much less money. And, you know, lower down your standard of living, then it's not necessarily that kind of a privilege, since at the same time we see many families that have five children in countries that are not as privileged so to speak. Mm. So it could be from a place of privilege. It could be from a place of I'm actually, it's actually import, more important for me to be there for my children. And I'm willing to have a much lower income than I could have mm -hmm. if we were both earning. Because of course, there are people where one husband or, you know, we can also see that there are men who are starting to want to stay at home with children. Mm -hmm. So it's not mm -hmm. even gender, <laughs> you know, yeah. exclusive anymore. But you can have those situations where, yes, you are privileged enough that person really earns a lot of money and can support the entire family. But you can really lower down your uh, life standard significantly because that's your value priority or whatever mm -hmm. you call it. I, I think that that's uh, another, another, another level because um, I believe that what happened to women in Western, I will just use it for simplification to make a point, Western societies, we got empowered 
uh, officially empowered to enter the workforce and so on. And we started to, as you mentioned, kill ourselves. You know, you have to be a perfect mother, perfect wife, have a career, be beautiful, all this kind of things. It's still a kind of a stigma that is in the Western societies and we are trying to shake it off. And now I think those women are trying to find themselves and balance themselves. That's why there is so many events right now popular, you know, balancing yourself, finding your true self as a mother, as a woman and so on. But I think that the other countries when the women still don't have the same variety of rights are not there. So they will probably go through the same circle as we did. They will enter the workforce and they will try to do career and then probably learning on their own experience they will know okay this is also stupid because now i'm killing myself for 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 nothing you know not for nothing for having everything when not it's not necessarily possible and i will have to although i agree there are uh, exemptions and now people are making more conscious decisions and i see this trend i will have to agree with dennis that it, it comes from the place of a privilege especially in country like denmark when if you will resign from job and stay with kids a country will help you with different things. For instance, you will get uh, rent subsidized because your overall income and the number of children, I know because now I have my rent subsidized and I am on maternity leave. So they can count all the things that you have as an income in the household. They count number of children and they actually give you a huge rent relief and there are other things that are contributing to this so also depends on the economy you are in or the country you are in you can actually afford yourself to to stay at home because the country has your back but denmark is not um, th that's not a system that is everywhere let's just face it that's a that's an extreme example of a country that is taking care of their citizens so that's also another thing interesting discussion guys I guess we have to jump to bullshit then, huh? Say what? It's bullshit. It's bullshit of the week. Bullshit. Yes, yeah, so the bullshit of the week. I wanted to come back to the topic that was actually hunting me. I don't know, was it hunting me or haunting? How do you pronounce it? Because one is when you hunt animals, hunt. Hunt? Haunting. Haunting, like a ghost? Yeah. Haunting. Yeah. A Dane is teaching me the English pronunciation. That is fantastic. Haunting, you are right. It was haunting me. That kind of a perception of uh, poor people being responsible for overpopulation and uh, in general, like all the bad things, you know. Um, we had a bit about this and I think we can actually play it right now. One guy who, whose name is Thomas Malthus, he was an economist in 18th century um, Great Britain, who was uh, very concerned about uh, the population. And his overall argument was that one day population will outstrip resources, focusing primarily on food. He observed that food production grew arithmetically, while population growth was exponential. It was only a matter of time before the population overtook our ability to produce food. In his opinion, this would lead to mass starvation, wars and chaos, and he believed we as species cannot manage our ability to re reduce our procreation. Therefore, he argued against helping the poor. He believed that the source of overpopulation is caused, caused by the poor, which, has compared to, which he compared to breeding rabbits. Secondly, he believed that helping the poor would only prolong the overall agony. Have you heard this statement before that it's the poor of the countries, of all the developing countries that are contributing to overpopulation? I because, have heard that before, yes. Yes, because that, that is as old as 18th century. And poor people are, I will quote unquote now, to blame for overpopulation. Well, definitely uh, don't believe in blaming here. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely nothing mm -hmm. to blame. Yes. Uh, that I uh, strongly disagree <laughs> yes. on the blaming part. But I have heard that statement. Um, yeah. So, Marta, you have heard that statement. Yes, definitely. And Dennis, you have heard that statement for sure as well, right? Yeah. And uh, it came from that guy, from, from Thomas Robert Malthus. He was the first that actually formulated this absolutely 
amazing theory and he actually called it a cycle of misery so very catchy uh, name for it because he claimed that you know people breed like rabbits that's again quote unquote that's actually his comparison and there is too many of them and there are natural things like famine and starvation and the nat- unnatural one like wars come in and decrease population so then the the land can regrow and rebuild to uh, to feed a next generation generation and when that will grow it will again um, you know famine will come and you know it's like it's a circle of misery Uh, what I didn't tell you is that this theory um, have contributed to a lot of uh, horrible things and the first one was uh, the Irish potato famine in uh, 1846 oh I'm not sure if my microphone is working no, yeah, it's, I it's me accidentally, I turn it down instead of mine. Sorry. Is, uh, it, is it good it, again? I can hear myself and yeah. actually it was quite funny. I was like, oh, we are live and maybe I'm not here anymore. <laughs> is um, it good now? Yes, I can hear myself. Okay, sorry for that. This is another proof that we are live on air. So, uh, guys, uh, it's a story of uh, Irish potato famine in uh, 1846 till 1851. So it was uh, relatively shortly after the guy came up with this, you know. But it's not theory. the one that you told us last time. Uh, did I tell you about the famine in uh, Irish uh, Irish potato famine? No, I didn't. No. Okay, I thought that. Uh, I know when I told you that. I told you that on the lead button uh, station where okay. we were waiting for the. Yes, but now, Marta, I want to tell it to everyone. Okay, cool. Yes. I thought it no. was on the show. Yes, I know. Sometimes it gets like confusing because I also have a feeling we talked about something, but actually we talked in private. Okay. Well, I just wanted to tell you to illustrate something for you and I, why I think it's actually dangerous. Uh, because th- that famine in 1846 to 1851. Uh, uh, caused one million Irish people to die of starvation, diseases and violence. And uh, it was caused by the fact that one string of potatoes that they were mainly growing in Ireland got uh, some sort of a mold and those potatoes basically were lost. They were rotten and, and they didn't have any crops. Irish could have access other string of potatoes or vegetables, but it was restricted by English officials represented by colonial master Charles Trevelyan Trevelyan yes I think that this is how you pronounce his name who specifically ordered not to give aid nor allow anyone else to give it either so basically you know that's what uh, Malthus was saying don't aid the poor because you will only prolong their misery so he blocked American ships with corn who came to the rescue and he allowed I- Irish farms to grow other types of vegetables, but then he confiscated them and sold them straight to England. It was, of course, dictated by hundreds of years of hatred between Catholic Ireland and Protestant England, but Malthusian theory had also a role to play because it was actually a justification. So in a century before the famine, Irish population grew significantly and many English thinkers saw the famine as an outcome of Malthus' predictions. From this point of view, providing food or aid to the Irish was pointless. It could only delay the cycle of misery. Colonial master Charles Trevelyan, I learned that, um, he said that the only remedy to starving was for Irish to die and corpses should be a reminder to survivors not to have sex. And now a quote. The judgment of God sent the calamity to teach the Irish a lesson and that calamity must be not too much mitigated. The real evil which we have content is not content is not the physical evil of famine, but the moral evil of selfish, perverse and turbulent character of the people. So that was the very first time that um, poor people were, let's say, victims of this, you know, uh, theory that poor people are responsible for overpopulation. So if something bad happens to them, 
we don't aid them because then it will self-regulate them. So I think it's it was not even about leaving the things to the natural course of things. It was actually actively stopping the aid and the huge exodus of Irish people that happened in 19th century to the US because there is plenty of Irish people in US was actually caused by that famine. And people were going on the boats and they were called coffin boats because third of people died it was horrible conditions they were running away from ireland just to run away from starvation and death so uh, yeah um my question is stupid because i wanted to ask you uh do you <laughs> i cannot even ask you that like what do you think about this because i still see sometimes uh, like people saying, you know, like, oh, those poor people in Africa, they are, I don't know, quote unquote now, I would like to say, you know, they, they cannot generate everything. I'll let them deal with their own problems. Let them just, you know, ah, oh, starving here yeah, because they don't know how to um, breed food or whatsoever. There are voices like this, you know, that the helping doesn't really make sense. What, what do you think about this? I well, know. it's a very complex uh, topic. So just to say uh, in very few words, I mean, first of all, your question is very complex. <laughs> it is a very complex question. Yes. So, uh, yes, helping poor people can be damageful when you are just providing stuff to them and they are and they keep on not learning that skill that they are missing that may have some downsides to it. So there is a type of help, you know, that you can think about. So you can give the tools instead of giving the, um, just providing the food, uh, for example, right? You can give Yeah, the you mean the good old, don't give man a fish, give him a fishing rod to... Yeah, so yeah. you can give him a fish so that he's strong enough to, mm -hmm. uh, to then use the, uh, mm -hmm. the fishing rod again as well. So I can understand... You know, I mean, it's such a big topic. I mean, yeah. yes, I definitely believe that from a place of privilege and from a place of being entitled, empowered or whatever, you know, we have here in the Western world. Yes, I think we all should be helping. <laughs> mm -hmm. Then the way we should be helping can be, you know, uh, questionable and can be, you know, something that you can individually find for yourself that's the way you want to do it. For example, my way of helping is by paying for education to uh, little girls that are raised in this underprivileged. Can you say underprivileged? No. Unprivileged? No. Non-privileged? I don't know. In poor countries, right? Well, so that's, for example, what I believe in. Giving mm -hmm. these children then receive food, receive clothes, receive access to education. That's, for example, something I believe is a good way of helping. Mm -hmm. Someone else can see it in a different way. I really think that any approach, any statement, you versus them, mm -hmm. any statement of againstness, the, the rich ones are to blame or the poor ones are to blame, is already causing a problem. Mm -hmm. So I definitely would go away 10 steps back from saying whose fault it is. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's the first thing and and would learn how we can help each other, how we can be in it together, how we can support each other, how can we redistribute. Yes. Second of all, that guy have that travestari, what was his name? I learned to pronounce it. So I will pronounce Trevelyan, Charles Trevelyan. That guy has generated for himself some karma, huh? I mean, so cruel. Honestly, burn in hell, wherever you are. Uh, Charles. I mean, it's I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult to imagine how you can come to this kind of conclusions and take mm -hmm. action on it. It's very difficult to, you know, to I think don't know about if it. you know, guys, but in Ireland, there are people who are calling this a genocide. They don't call it a famine of 19th century. They call it as a genocide because those were planned 
ways of English empire on, on, on how to stop the aid. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that, that that's so Marta, you are right. Karma <laughs> burning hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know how, but I guess I understand now why Ireland wanted to be independent. Uh, that gives me a new outlook because I didn't know about this. I knew about other famines and starvations like in Ukraine and Belarus at the beginning of 20th century, uh, courtesy of Stalin. Yeah, we learned that at school. So of course we are a bit biased with those information and also in China there was a starvation caused by Mao and his uh, very uh, creative politics uh, but yeah burning hell Charles Trevelyan oh my god I hope that he will not come to haunt <laughs> me haunt me I find it very scary though that the, the idea the, the theory the thoughts they survive today they survive today you, you basically just described uh, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged where the, the, the poor are morally inferior. Exactly. And the rich are entitled and exactly. they, are, they are superior. Mm -hmm. And the poor brought it on themselves. They don't deserve anything. They don't deserve help. They, don't, they are inferior people. Those thoughts, unfortunately, are still prevailing in, 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 in some circles. And I find it extremely dangerous. And I actually think that this is dehumanizing for people. If you are branded as poor and all those things, it's actually it, you are being dehumanized because if you would see these pe people starving with little children, normal, normal, normal empathy level person would want to help do something. But if you will call them poor and breathing like rabbits and of course you know there were many labels we were giving over centuries to different groups of people less intelligent barbarians uh, savage or you know and uh, that i find extremely dangerous because that is something i have seen even today you know that poor people they they yeah that's their fate we will not get into discussion how poor people became poor in countries that are the most richest in natural resources because I don't have time or knowledge to make a lecture about colonialism. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I'm happy that at least we are on the page that Charles Trevelyan should get his karma. It's just un undescribable, yeah. uncommentable un mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. Genocide is, is the right word to use about yeah. it because you know what will happen and you plan it and you stop aid from other countries. Mm -hmm. You want people to die. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so after this very grim example, we are coming back to the last one. Do we have the last clip? We do. Um, the most um, interesting fact that I found he here is actually not necessarily that we are overpopulated, but we are not distributing our resources and food um, wisely. wisely. <laughs> um, yes, you, you can actually hear uh, the outro playing because that is <laughs> all I had to say at that time because I had no time. And I see we have 13 minutes to, 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 <laughs> to continue and I don't know how I will go through this entire show. Mm -hmm. And we actually talked with Marta about this that, you know, there are so many talk shows uh, podcasts and they basically have different uh, lengths depending on the episode on how the discussion was rolling. For instance, even Joe Rogan, he has two and a half hours episodes and he has three, then he has one hour and a half. We always have to stick to one hour and we have three people here in the studio. So guys, if we won't be able to go through the time capsule, I'm very sorry. And probably I will not compensate for that. <laughs> because I have enough of compensation. But that was the last thing I wanted to talk regarding overpopulation. And that was, you know, the, the view that there will be too many people and we will not have enough food, uh, water and, and, you know, shelter for them. And also the whole footprint, you know, the the environmental footprint and all the uh, CO2 emissions and all of that. So we have to stop. Uh, but I think I mentioned in the last show that we are currently overproduced uh, food, that we produce half more than we need. And that from that, a lot of goes to waste or it goes to uh, feeding the animals which become our other food and I had gathered couple of interesting facts here 
And uh, number one, it is not about how many people the earth can accommodate, but how many rich people earth can accommodate. That is uh, statement number one. And uh, statement number two, people from developing countries are still the scapegoat blamed for over overpopulation. But if we take into consideration conception of resources, it is the Western civilization to be blamed. And the example was it takes more water to cultivate lawns, lawns, Dennis, help me, that grass that is in front of the house. Lawn. Lawn. Lawns in America than to water all the crops. So there is more water used to, 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 to water the grass in front of your house than it is to actually water the crops in America. Interesting, huh? Uh, if you live in a developed country like Japan, Denmark or Poland and have food, fridge, Wi-Fi, hot water, you on average consume as much as 32 Kenyans. As for environmental footprint and CO2 emissions, if you live in America and you emit 165 times more than a person in Uganda, Rwanda, Somalia or Chad, 165 more times of CO2 emissions. <sighs> Guys, what do you think about this wonderful facts? I think we had that discussion, Dennis, just before I started the show last week. And you said that it is actually about the, the level of uh, aspiration for the rest of the world that if everyone should have a computer, everyone should have a, a mobile, everyone should have uh, nice clothes, everyone should, blah, 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 we can continue, then yes, indeed, we are in trouble. We are in big trouble because earth resources cannot sustain that. I don't know the numbers, but I assume that if mm -hmm. everybody has to have a, a laptop and uh, a TV and a computer screen and blah, 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 all the things that we take for granted, there would be a need for resources on a scale that we cannot imagine. I think I've seen somewhere there is a web page and I will try to find it and put the link to show notes. You can actually put a data in of your consumption, where you live, what you own and so on. And it will calculate how many Earths does uh, uh, your lifestyle need in if everyone would have the same lifestyle as you. And one woman made a, a, a test like this with her class at university. And if everyone would, uh, from people that exist right now, if everyone would consume as they consumed, you would need six Earths. So I actually, um, I will try to find that a link and I will calculate it for myself. With my consumption levels, if everyone would have to have exactly the same level uh, of living as I do, and I don't have a car, that will be funny. How many Earths would we need? Guys, what do you think about it? That, you know, as we just said, uh, poor people are blamed for overpopulation because of the reasons that we mentioned, yet it looks like it's um, not about accommodation of everyone. It's about, you know, maintaining a certain lifestyle and it's the rich people that are consuming the most. Any reflections on that? We, we need more Earths. We need more Earths. I think that's a very good reflection. Marta, <laughs> Marta looks depressed. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, is it because of that uh, Irish potato famine story? No, it's that it's very difficult to comment on this kind of statements when mm -hmm. you have uh, five minutes left. And I think yeah. that my my statement already on the famine was uh, completely mm -hmm. bullshit because of yeah. uh, it, it's just I yeah. don't see a way to comment on it in a in any meaningful way in a short amount of time. But what do you think? Uh, Challenge of the week. We don't have to put a jingle because that's 20 seconds. I cannot afford to lose. Uh, how can we survive when the population hits 10 billion and we will have, let's say, the same requirements that we have right now? What, what, what are your ideas? Because I actually have two fancy theories. I can very briefly tell you what are they, and then you will tell me at which side you are. There is a, the, uh, there is a guy whose name is Charles Seaman, and he is a, mm, he's a writer and a journalist, and he was very much 
haunted, I learned that, haunted by uh, this question, how we will survive well when, when the earth will hit 10 billion, you know, everyone wants to have those things that we have. And he uh, made a lot of interviews with uh, scientists and thought thinkers, and he divided them into groups, prophets and wizards. And now you can tell me if you feel like you are a prophet or a wizard. So wizards, or rather techno wizards, basically believe that science and technology properly applied can let us produce our way out of our dilemmas. Prophets believe that there are natural limits and we transgress these limits at our peril, meaning serious dangers. So basically wizards believe that we have to go with the technological progress even more, use um, more green energy, invest in technology, invest in more and more industrial ways on producing food, including GMO, so genetically modified food, and that the future should look like that we live in mega cities where uh, people are kind of clustered there and using this wonderful benefits of technology and the last, uh, the rest of the land is left, let's say, as a, some sort of like a, a wasteland that can regrow naturally. And they are also for the nuclear energy. The prophets believe that uh, people should come back to living in small communities, small villages, that they should be more self-reliant, more self-independent, that there should be no centralization of, uh, of the uh, of the energy or the food industry that everyone should learn how to do it themselves and we should uh, be spread all over the, the planet because there is a lot of place actually in, in on, on planet Earth and we should come back to more community-oriented, smaller, uh, smaller, I don't know, cities, villages or something like that. What, what speaks to you better? Like feeling-wise, not necessarily data, but feeling-wise. If I had to choose, if there was like a gun mm -hmm. to my head and I have to choose one, then the prophets, the latter one, mm -hmm. small communities and stuff. But if I am to give my honest opinion, I think the only way out of it is integrative approach, where you integrate the similarities or the best things of all the possible approaches and you find a completely new way of doing it. You hit Bingo Marta because he also have uh, finished his uh, one of his TED talks with a sudden thought and he said the problem is those guys don't talk to each other and uh, prophets don't understand that in order to sustain those communities because the prophets want to use the solar energy and all those kind of things, you know, they need wizards and their technological pro progress. But the wizards don't understand that there is a lot of things that prophets can offer and they don't talk to each other. It is still on a very argumentative side because although the arguments are pragmatic, it is actually in the end of the day about lifestyle and values. Do you want to live in smaller communities? You don't want to be control controlled by the one big government. Uh, what you actually prefer to live as, right? So that is a very good, that is a bingo because he actually said that he's very sad that they don't understand that they should actually talk with each other and, and you know, and, and combine those both. Um, thoughts of, of, of solving the overpopulation problem. Dennis? Uh, I, I agree with Marta. You, mm -hmm. you, it's, it, when you're putting together a budget for anything, if, if you use one economic theory, you, you are bound to fail. You need to take the best from everything. And that goes for science, that goes for everything. Mm -hmm. You need to take the best solutions for any kind of problem yeah. and implement that. And the funny thing is that uh, he said that the overall feel is that we are living in a in a times when the prophet philosophy is more close to heart to people that people tend to believe in that more or want that more. Yet it is the wizards that are like dictating the reality that we actually live in the time of wizards. So very interesting uh, finishing thought. Thank you very much, our lovely listeners, for, for being here with us. And we hope that you will tune in next week. Marta, thank you very much for being here. Dennis, thank you're you. cool. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will come for more. That's all.